Hey, my name is PJ Nolan. I'm the lead pastor of Collective Church. We are a community of real people in Saline County, Arkansas, seeking to know God and to make Him known. We hope as you visit our podcast that you will find the messages inspiring, practical, but most importantly, biblical. Our culture, our society, our nation, the world that we live in is constantly throwing messages at you and I about love, about sex, about dating, and about marriage. And it's not that it's wrong to talk about any of these things because it's not. What's wrong is that the messages that the world is throwing at me and throwing at you and throwing at your kids, the messages are a lot murky and they're not very clear and they don't quite line up with what God has given us in Scripture. And so throughout this series, what I want us to do is I want us to feel inspired as God's people, equipped as God's people, to be able to defend what we believe about these things and to not just go, hey, you know what, we, we are opposed to this because here's the deal as Christians, we're not opposed to these things. We want to be able to say and shout louder than the culture around us that we are 110% for love, sex, dating, and marriage, all within the guardrails and confines that God has given us in his word. Amen? So, listen, I want to share with you an opinion but also a fact this morning. And I realize that when I share this with you, it's not a very popular opinion, not a very popular fact, but it is a biblical one. And that is this, okay? We live in a day when our world, our society, our education system, our government, the world we live in is constantly trying to restructure and redefine love, sex, dating, and marriage. And let me tell you something, folks. We should really agree on this as a church. We do not get to restructure and redefine what God has already structured and defined. Listen, these things are all throughout the Bible. They're good. They're godly. When we exercise them in accordance to what the Lord has given to us in his word. We do not get to redefine or restructure what the Lord has already structured and defined. I don't care what the world around us says. I don't care how culture is shifting. God's already set it in place. And listen, we may think at times we know better than he does, and this way may be a little bit better than what God originally intended. No, no, no. He's the master designer of it all. He knows what's best. And so the Bible says that you and I have a tendency to follow a way that seems right to us, but in the end leads to death. And so we would be better off today to go, okay, like I know there are times there are things that feel better to me, but Lord, I'm going to go your way because you're the master and you know what's best. Now, with that said, I want to go ahead and let you know that as we walk through this topic today, I'm going to season in some humor. And when I do it's okay to laugh. You can laugh because here's the deal. You can't tackle a subject like sex without breaking the ice a little bit, okay? So we're gonna laugh a little bit. We're gonna have some fun with it, but let me tell you something too. I give you my word. I'm gonna do my absolute best, like as a human, broken human being, to treat this subject with the utmost respect that it deserves because God created it and it is holy. So 
Here we go. You ready? All right, buckle your seatbelts. This is like Six Flags. We went up the hill. We're about to go on down the other side, all right? I read a story this week as I was preparing for today's message. Heartbreaking story. Uh, a gentleman had been having some health problems, had not been feeling well, decided he was going to go to see his doctor and go get some tests run. A doctor runs some tests, and he comes back to his patient, and he says to the man, he says, I've got bad news for you. I just, I hate to tell you this, but you have probably at the most 18 hours left to live. Naturally, the man was shook, shaken. He goes home, on his way home, calls up his wife, says, hey, I need you to meet me at the house. The doctor visit didn't go well. So his wife meets him at the house. They sit down together at the breakfast table, and she says to him, or he says to her, the doc said I got 18 hours left to live. That was about an hour ago. I got, I guess, 17, 16 hours at this point. And so he and his wife go and sit down, spend another hour just kind of weeping together, understandably so, hugging each other, just thinking through this. And like any good man, he reaches over, touches his wife on the knee and says, babe, like about 15 hours left. Could we, could we be together just like one more time? Just one more time? She's sure, babe. Yes, absolutely, we can be together. So they were together. They embraced each other. They were, they were together. A few more hours pass. The man says to his wife, hey, babe, I got like 11 hours left. Do you think just, just one more time, just one more time can we be together? And she says, babe, I would love to. Absolutely, we can. So they're together. A few more hours pass, about 3 a.m. at night. The man cannot sleep because he knows he has about three hours left to live. And so he's restless, he's tossing, he's turning. He reaches over, touches his wife on the shoulder, and before he can even get out another word, she says, uh-uh, no way. We've already been together twice tonight. I gotta be up at six to go to work, and you don't. There you go. All right, all right. Told you, folks, it's okay to laugh whether it's cheesy or not. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate you serving the Lord today. All right. Lean in with me. Appreciate you, buddy. Thank you for that. I always want it my own late show. So, listen, listen. God gave us sex to enjoy. If you're taking notes, write that down today. God gave us sex to enjoy. It is one of his many gifts to us. He is the giver of all good things, the scriptures say, and sex is one of the gifts that he has given to you and I. Within, you're going to hear me say it over and over again today, because I want to be clear to some of you today. Within the confines of marriage, sex is meant to be exciting, fun, and fulfilling. It should not be viewed as dirty. It should not be viewed as, sin, as sinful, but as part of God's plan for married couples. If you're taking notes, write this down, okay? I want to give you plenty of time to write it down. Before we go any further today, I want you to write this down. God created sex as a gift to be enjoyed between a man and a woman, but only after they are married to one another. Write that down. Take some time to let it soak into you. Because what the world is saying today is, hey, you want to hook up with so-and-so? Go for it. There's no consequences for it. Everybody's doing it. But the truth is there are consequences for it. 
both physical and spiritual. And so let me say it one more time. God created sex as a gift to be enjoyed between a man and a woman. Let's be clear about that today. But only after they are married to one another. So sex should not be viewed as sinful or dirty. God created it to take place within a biblical marriage for it to be fun, fulfilling, and exciting, and it is part of his plan for married couples. Now, when you've been in ministry for about 15 years, it sometimes gets to be like farmer's insurance, like you know a thing or two because you've seen a thing or two, okay? And one of the things in 15 years, like I've seen a thing or two, that I wish I hadn't seen, and some things I heard I wish I hadn't heard. But here's the reality. While sex within marriage between a man and a woman should be fun, fulfilling, and exciting, there are also times it's one of the greatest sources of tension in a marriage. One of the greatest sources of division and frustration. I'm very much aware of that today. So I want to respect, no matter where you are in your marriage, when it comes to this issue, some of you may be in a place where like, hey, it's clicking, everything's going well. And others of you may be here today, and maybe somebody in the marriage has an addiction to looking at things on the internet they shouldn't look at. Maybe there's been some online dating relationships. Maybe there's been some things said that shouldn't be said. And so when you hear this topic uh, discussed within the confines of your marriage, there's, there's some tension there. I want to be respectful of that today. Now, let's go back to this whole idea of it is to be saved for marriage. Because I understand there are some folks in the room today that might hear that and go, listen, I know the Bible may say that. I hear your preacher, but let's be real. Who really does that? Who, who really waits until marriage? You may be like, man, that, I mean, that ain't really a thing. I mean, after all, like Jesus, he'll understand. He forgives me. Listen to me. He may forgive you, but that doesn't mean there aren't consequences. And I'll also say this to everyone in the room today, no matter your age, do not lower your standards to what everybody else is doing. Set your standards according to what God's word has given to us. And your sex life will be much richer, much more fulfilling, and much more exciting when you said it according to God's word. And those of you who are in a position where you're single or you're a teenager or whatever it might be, don't lower your standards. Keep them set high and stay connected to Jesus and say, I'm gonna trust your will for my life and trust that your word knows what's better for me and I'm gonna aim to be the individual that you have called me to be all the way up until you give me the individual that you've created me to be with. Now, what we want to do is look at what the, the writer said in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. This is the bride-to-be speaking. We're keeping in mind this idea that it is saved for marriage. Look at what the bride-to-be says. She says, may his left hand be under my head and his right arm embrace me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the what? Appropriate time. What is she saying here? What is she getting at? The bride-to-be is desiring sexual intimacy with her man, with her groom, 
with her husband-to-be. She wants to be with him. She is yearning for him. And as she says these things, she quickly reminds herself, sends a message to the young ladies of Jerusalem and a message to herself that, hey, while I may feel these things, let's not stir these things up until the appropriate time. What's the appropriate time? Marriage. And so she is saying here, listen, there's a time coming on the honeymoon when it's going to be right, it's going to be pure, it's going to be holy, and it's going to be God-honoring. And so when we get to that point in our life, when God has given us that individual that we are to be with, there are six principles, six biblical thoughts about great sex that Song of Songs chapter 4 gives us. And so we're going to walk through this chapter for the entirety of our time together today. And the first thing I want to give you is this. Great sex precedes the bedroom. Great sex precedes the bedroom. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Listen, great, godly, healthy, biblical sex within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman starts long before you ever get to the bedroom. It starts long before you and your spouse ever lay a hand on each other. It starts long before you and your fiancé get to the honeymoon. And the groom, here in Song of Songs chapter 4, he illustrates this for us with the words that he uses. And what we're about to see is that he is praising and romancing and building up his bride-to-be with his words all before he ever lays a finger on her in verse 11. it's, It's preceding the bedroom. Now watch what he says. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Listen, me and Lauren, we've been together now for about 17 years been married for about 11, 12, 13 of those. And listen, the first time I ever told her that her hair was like a flock of goats, I had her. Like, that was it. She was about 15, I was about 17. I looked at her, I said, gosh, your hair? Like a flock of goats. And she was like, oh. I mean, that was it. That was it. Let me give you some context here. Let me give you some context here. In the culture, in the region in which they lived, there were these very prestigious black goats that were known for having long black hair. And so he is complimenting her based on something that was very sort of uh, prestigious and beautiful in their culture and in their context. Now, watch this. If you translate this literally in the Hebrew, you know what it says? It says, girl, you done got your hair did. He's saying, you look great. Your hair looks amazing. He's building her up. He's encouraging her. And he understands that this moment that they're building to in their honeymoon to have this great sex with one another within marriage as God designed it to be, he's letting her know, hey, you look great. I love you. I I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. But then he goes on to say here, he says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. What's he saying? He's saying, praise the Lord, you got all your teeth. (laughs) Ain't no joke. You laugh at that? That's what he is saying. Listen, I mean, he says here, 
He says here, each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. You ain't got no gaps. You looking good. You got your hair did. Your teeth look great. Can you imagine in this time period, they didn't have, at least I don't think, the, the modern day dentistry that we had. For a dude to land a bride-to-be that has all her teeth, that's a big deal. It's a big deal, and she's got beautiful goat hair. So he's saying, babe, you're looking good. He's complimenting her. Long before he ever touches her, he's understanding that this great sex that I long to enjoy with my bride-to-be, it has to precede the bedroom. Guys, listen, you and I, we would do well to learn from this gentleman right here. We really got to learn from this guy. I'm not saying leave here today and tell your wife that like she has goat hair. I'm not saying, hey, babe, I wish, don't say, hey, I wish you had all your teeth. Don't go there. Don't go there. But listen, here, I I want you, I don't think this is going to be on the screen, but I want you to get this. This is something God has taught me in my marriage. It's the little things on a daily basis that will fill your spouse's emotional tank and make her physical expression of love a natural overflow that is a delight to give rather than a duty to fulfill. Let's say it one more time. It's the little things on a daily basis that fill her emotional tank and make her physical expression of love a natural overflow that is a delight to give rather than a duty to fulfill. Now, these things may seem really small to us guys, but they are a big deal to her. So what does this look like, gentlemen? A simple phone call. Call her up at some point throughout the day. Hey, babe, how you doing? How's your day going? Just want to let you know I love you. Now, ladies, when he does that tomorrow, you can't be like, hey, look, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. No, listen, just accept it. Just be like, babe, thanks for calling me. I love you too. Start to cultivate this in your marriage. Hey, guys, pick up the milk. You know, milk needs to be picked up. Say, babe, I got it. I got the milk. Hey, guys, change the diaper. Help, help with the baths. Vacuum the house. Send her to get her nails done. These things go a long ways to her. Listen, I don't know what your spouse's love language is, but you got to figure it out. Because when you figure out that love language, it goes a long ways. Hey, our elders here at Collective, we were having an elder team meeting one time, not long ago, and these are godly men. I mean, everything they talk about is just godly all the time, and a couple rabbits got chased, and one of our elders said, listen, guys, my wife's love language is service. Listen, when I vacuum the house, things going to be good, is what he said. Hey, what? that's good. He has learned his spouse's love language. He has learned that if I want my sex life to be fulfilling, it precedes the bedroom. My wife's love language is sweets. Some people, their love language is acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time, you know, gifts, that sort of thing. Sweets. She loves dessert. She ain't denying it. Listen, last night I was at the gym, 7.30, 8 o'clock, she sends me a text, sweet treat. That means go by Dairy Queen, get me a blizzard. <laughs> Listen, I know these things. I have studied her. Great sex, it, it precedes the bedroom. Second thing this morning, it is tender. It is tender. 
I might get in trouble later on, all right? I don't know. It is tender. The, 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 the groom here, he goes on to say, he says, your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. Now, it's tender. We got any hunters in the room? Any hunters? Any deer hunters? Like, it's okay, raise your hand. It's good. I'm not setting you up to, like, spike the ball on you or anything, all right? Okay. <laughs> Now, I, I'm not a big hunter. I have friends that are hunters. I'm not opposed to it. I enjoy talking to you about hunting. And through watching your hunting practices, there's a few things I've learned along the way. And one thing I've learned is that if you are hunting two fawns and you're laid up in your stand and you're waiting for the right opportunity, when those fawns come walking out, it's not very likely that you're going to come jumping out of the stand going, hey, two fawns. Because then what? You lose them. Very gently, quietly, and tenderly, you go to take the two fawns that you have been hunting. Listen, great sex is tender. God intended for it to be tender. Now, some of you gentlemen here today, listen, I understand that some of you guys, you like your women a little on the trashy side, all right? Your lady don't like it that way. <laughs> God created her with a tender side. And we are good as men to learn from that. Because listen, sex is also a picture of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. It is symbolic of his love for his church. And listen, Jesus is very tender when it comes to his bride. He treats her gently. He guides her patiently. He loves her faithfully. And so, guys, we should learn from how Jesus loves and treats his church on how to tenderly love our spouses. Now, listen, it sounds like I'm picking on the guys this morning. But here's the deal. You ladies, you, you want your man to be tender? Watch your tone with him sometimes. You want your guy to be tender, but oftentimes you talk to him like he's beneath you. Precedes the bedroom, right? You want your man to be tender with you in the bedroom, be tender with him in other aspects of life. Honor him. Love him. Build him up. Encourage him. The other thing I'll mention to you this morning is great sex is not only tender, but it is also passionate. It's passionate. Look at what he goes on to say here. He says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will make my way to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. What is he saying here? He says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. He's saying, baby, all night long when we get to the honeymoon, I am yours all night long. That's what he's saying. Now, have you ever noticed, keep in mind, this couple, they're about to get married. They're building up to the honeymoon. Have you ever noticed how excited and how passionate a newlywed couple is? I get a kick out of it on Facebook. Like on Facebook, you can see a newlywed couple for like the first year, maybe two years. One of the spouses will be posting pictures and saying, hey, my husband or my wife, he or she, she's so hot. And then a few years goes by, and then they go from posting that to posting memes about getting the dishes done and vacuuming the house and stuff like that. Why is it 
as time goes on, when our passion for our spouses should be growing, and the depth in our marriage is going deeper, and, and, and the sex becoming even better, why is it that over time it seems like instead we drift and we lose the passion? I can tell you why. Life happens. You have kids, and kids are demanding needy little things. The first five years, it's suicide watch. Diapers got to be changed. And then you got jobs. You got bills to pay. You got deadlines to meet. In the busyness of life, next thing you know, if you're not careful, you have just, just drifted apart. Listen, what I want to challenge us to do here today is married couples, recover the passion. Listen to me now. I tell you this often. As your pastor, there's nothing I want for you more than for you to know the Lord. And one of the ways that you and I know the Lord deeply is for you and I to have biblical, godly, passionate marriages with our husband or with our wife. Listen, when I am closest to Lauren, I see the Lord in her. I see him working in her life. I see the Holy Spirit at work. But when we drift apart, I tend to focus more on myself instead of on her, and instead of seeing the Lord at work in her life, I tend to look at all the things that she needs the Lord to work on. You see what I'm saying here this morning? Recover the passion. I hear of some of our couples that go, hey, we hadn't gone on a date in two, three months. Hey, listen, as your pastor, I'm telling you, that ain't good. And some of you, you've already thought, hey, when we get to the week on dating, like we're married, we're good, we ain't got to come that week. No, no, no. Dating isn't something that, that precedes marriage. Dating is something you should do with your spouse until, until death do you part. You should always be dating your spouse. And so stick around with me for that week. Recover the passion. Go on a date. Get rid of the kids. It's okay to get rid of the kids. I give you permission. It's all right. And guess what? They're going to be okay. They don't need you 24-7. In fact, they need a break from you just like you need a break from them. Guys, buy her a flower. Ladies, buy him a gun. Show. Can I get an amen, guys? Listen, I had to help you out. I've been picking on you all morning. I had to help you. Show, show interest in what he's interested in. Show interest in what she's interested in. Get a couple's massage. Listen, hey, you ladies, if you'd rather it not be a couple's massage and you don't want the guy there, you need a break from him, take a break. Do whatever you got to do to recover the passion. Hey, guys, listen, when she's cooking dinner, get a little touchy-feely. Hey, if you're within a marriage to one another, it's fair game. We're going to get through this, all right? Listen, my kids see me flirt with Lauren. My kids see me hug on Lauren. They see me give Lauren kisses at times. Why is that? I want my daughter to see how a spouse should treat her one day. I want my son to grow up seeing that so that he doesn't grow up to be some kind of disengaged man one day that just comes home and expects his wife to have dinner on the table. I want my kids to see it. I want them to understand that these things are okay within the biblical confines of marriage. Guys, take a shower. Get a haircut. Try to smell good. 
Recover the passion. Listen, some of you folks, you give me a hard time around here for always having a fresh haircut and always trying to look sharp and always trying to smell good. Listen, I got one person I'm trying to impress. Hey, listen, I don't want her to feel like one day, man, I got a scrub. Listen, I batted way, way out of my field of play, as Shane said last week, so therefore I got to try and keep up, all right? I I wanted the passion to be there. I want to enjoy seeing her. I want her to enjoy seeing me. The, The other thing I'll mention this morning is that great sex is built on trust. It is built on absolute trust. Listen, I can't think of anything that makes two people more vulnerable yet excited at the same time, then, the act of sex. Therefore, great sex has to be built on absolute trust. Look at what he goes on to say here. He says, you are absolutely beautiful, my darling. There is no imperfection in you. What is he saying here? They're not to the honeymoon yet. They're not being physical yet. But because they've talked to one another, she has likely shared with him, hey, I'm a little bit nervous about when it's time because there are some things about myself I'm a little insecure about. And so what he's saying to her is, babe, listen, no matter how you feel about yourself or no matter what you see in yourself, all I see is you're perfect. No matter how you feel, no matter what you see, in my eyes, you are perfect. He is speaking to her insecurities so that she can be and feel secure. Can can I use my own marriage to illustrate this for a moment? FYI, I got permission to share this, okay? I'm not trying to be funny at this point. This is very real because, listen, guys, we live in a culture today where uh, uh, society has always thrown images of ladies out there that are far from realistic. But what happens is, is ladies see those and they feel like they got to try to attain that or strive to be that, when the truth is every image that comes our way has a filter over it. Things have been either sucked in or blown up and nipped and tucked, and you name it. And our wives feel like they they should look that way. Man, just get rid of that thinking. When Lauren had our first child, Cora, now, listen, when a woman has a baby, the body changes. It changes. And so after Lauren had Cora, she got home, we got settled in, a few weeks go go by, and she tells me, she says, you know what, i got to be honest with you, she said, I'm very embarrassed for you to see my stomach. I said, well, babe, why? She said, it looks like a bear took his claws and just tore across my stomach. Now, she's down here laughing about that. I'm really not trying to be funny about this. Because here's the thing, she felt insecure about that. Her body no longer looked the way it once did. You know what I told her? I said, babe, I don't see stretch marks. I see sacrificial love. I see that you were willing to lay down your life for nine months and to give our family a child, now two children. She sees stretch marks. I see, as the writer said here, no imperfection in her. I love her exactly the way she is, Every little bit about her, I love it. She is the woman that God has given to me, and she gave us two children, and whether she has stretch marks or not, it don't matter to me. I love her unconditionally as Jesus loves his church unconditionally. Now, men, knowing that about your spouse, build her up. 
Build her up. Let her know, hey, you look great today. You look great in those jeans. You look good in that shirt. I love the way your hair looks. I love your smile. Listen, listen, ladies, your guy, no matter how secure he may seem, he's got insecurities. He's got insecurities. Therefore, your man needs you to verbally build him up. Let him know, hey, you look great in that Carhartt vest and those boots. You're tearing it up today. Let them know. Hey, that cinch cologne you got at Cavender's, smelling good on you, man. Let them know. Build them up. Encourage them so that he can feel secure to be the man that God has called him to be to you and for you. Now, let me speak to the ladies for just a moment. This is real important. Do not write me off, okay, on this part. I want to, this is important. I want to treat it delicately. It is a biological proven fact that men want more sex than ladies do. It's a biological fact. Now, because of that, ladies, don't think your man is sick or has some problem. God wired him that way. Men are physical. But here's the thing. Men are also emotional. We're emotional. We try to hide it, but we're emotional. And so watch this. When you accept your man sexually your husband sexually, what it does to him emotionally is it lets him feel loved and accepted and valued by you. But when you reject him over and over and over and over again, you know what it does emotionally to him? Emotionally, he feels rejection. He feels not accepted by you. And then watch this. What happens if you're not careful, your man starts looking for that acceptance elsewhere. Now, listen to me. Watch me now. I am not trying to give our guys a pass today to go home and say, you heard what PJ said. I ain't giving our guys a pass to go out here and look at pornography. I'm not giving our guys a pass to go out here and start up online relationships and hooking up with other ladies at work. I'm not giving a pass for that. What I am saying is that our acceptance of one another and having the chemistry and the timing down is a big deal. Because listen, guys, listen, if we don't give her the attention that God has made her to receive, that one guy at work that tells her one day, you're looking good today, all of a sudden Satan uses that. And the Bible tells us that we have a spiritual enemy, the devil, and he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to steal, kill, and destroy. And guess what he's doing? He's preying on marriages these days. And he's using the sexual dysfunction within a marriage to cause division and break up households. And that's what he does. He takes the things that God intended for good and that God intended for great, and he loves to twist them and distort them and use something that God created for great unity and use it to cause much division. So, the other thing I'll mention to you this morning is great sex is also sensuous. Sensuous. He goes on here to say, you have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your caresses are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. Your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. If you haven't got it yet, we've gone from pre-honeymoon to we're in the honeymoon now. They've arrived. They've said, I do. 
They've gotten to the honeymoon destination. And he's letting her know, hey, look, babe, this is how I feel about you. It's sensuous. And so there are things that we must do to cultivate sensuality within our marriages when it comes to our sex lives. Guys, listen, hey, get some chocolate-covered strawberries. I hear they love them. (laughs) Do what you got to do within the boundaries that you and your spouse have with one another to keep the sex life healthy and God-honoring. Because listen, when your sex life is healthy, it is honorable to the Lord. It's honorable to him. He, he created it. He wants you and your spouse to enjoy it biblically. Which brings me to the last thing this morning. Great sex is holy. It's holy. He goes on here to say, my sister, my bride, you, you are a locked garden. A locked garden and a sealed spring. Your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choicest fruits. Henna with nard. Lauren loves it when I talk to her about nard. (laughs) Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the best spices. What's he saying to her? You have saved yourself for me. You've saved yourself for me. You waited for me. There's lots of other good-looking guys out there. There's temptation all around us. But you, you saved yourself for me. He says, you, you, you are a locked garden, a sealed spring. And what is her response to him? Look what she says to him. You are a garden spring, a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon. Awaken north wind, come south wind, blow on my garden and spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. What is she saying? Yes, I have waited for you. Let's do this. She's ready. They're excited. They have kept themselves godly and holy and pure so that on this time together, they can enjoy each other and feel great about it and celebrate it. Why? Because sex, great sex, it is holy. And no matter how long you've been married, you and I, we have the responsibility in our marriages to treat it as such and to cultivate a holiness in our marriages when it comes to this. Some of you guys here today, you young men, you teens, listen, not too long ago, I was where you are today, and I know what goes through your mind. You think, man, I can't wait to get married one day so that I can have sex with my wife. Listen, it is so much more than sex. Like, married couples, can I get an amen? Like, this whole marriage thing, it is so much more than sex. Listen, and it ain't what the TV shows portray. It's not what's in the movies. Marriage is hard work. It's messy. It's frustrating. There are days, me and Lauren, hey, we, there are days we can't stand each other. But we love each other. And so in the moments where we can't stand each other, we give each other some space and some time, and then we come back together and we say, hey, God wants us to treat this marriage as holy. Therefore, we should. Thanks again for visiting the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you found the message to be practical, inspiring, and biblical. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about Collective Church, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you enjoyed the message, hit the subscribe button. And if you'd be willing to, hit share and help us spread the word about Collective Church.